welcome to episode three of Mum's Dad's Work, the podcast from WMPeople.co.uk. My name is Ben Falk. I'm the editor of WorkingDads.co.uk. I'm here with Mandy Garner. Hello, Mandy. Hello. Hello, Ben. And you have to say where you're from, Mandy. Oh, gosh. I'm from Essex. (laughs) (laughs) From WorkingMums.co.uk. But she is also from Essex, which is a good fact to know about her, I think. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I am from Working Mums. (laughs) So we're back with another episode of the show. It's our second season. I, I, I like the fact that I just always love the fact we call it our second season. Like it makes us sound like this big sort of Netflix extravaganza uh, rather than two people chatting about working parent stuff in a room. But there we go. Why not? <laughs> That's what I say. Um, so we, we're going to be chatting about a few things today. We've got a fantastic interview coming up later on with Lizzie Bagmontefiore, who will chat all about career progression and things like that. But we'll come to that in a minute. For starters, I think, Mandy, we we wanted to talk a little bit about paternity leave, didn't we? Because about a week and a half ago now at the Labour conference, Pregnant Then Screwed did a, a it was a kind of really interesting stunt where they put a load of signs out on, on the beach where, where all the statues are, where the Labour conference was being held sort of talking about the, the the lack of quality, I suppose, around paternity leave policy and things like that. And I do you think those things are effective? We, we kind of had a debate about that, didn't we, offline, about how, how effective yes. we think these things are. It's always good to talk about paternity leave, but I wonder whether these kind of things are, are helpful. Yes, I'm not sure. I mean, they had the all the statues with papooses on and then they had like little signs about paternity leave and stuff yeah. and the campaign for paternity leave. I guess, it, I guess it's the aim is to keep it in the public eye because it is difficult to keep it in the public eye unless there's something that's out there like a big survey or, or whatever it might be. And it has been very difficult over the last few years because nothing really has happened since shared parental leave was, came in. And that was, as we know, a bit of a compromise from the offset. And, and because of various different things like Brexit and COVID, you know, there's been virtually no movement um, on that front. So it's just been about doing what you can with with the shared print, the, you know, the policy that there, that's there. And with some companies then, as, as as you must know very, very well from your side of things, you know, sort of going a bit further and introducing equal parental leave policies and stuff with, with uh, often good good take up so it's been sort of driven more by employers than on the policy side but that means a lot of people who work for employers that don't have those kind of policies or can't you know can't don't aren't aren't able to offer them have not seen very much progress yeah it's 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 kind of interesting you said it's like been driven by employers there are people who have essentially companies who have chosen to do something about it and everywhere that we write about it and everywhere that you see it happening it's so clear how beneficial it is like it makes such a massive difference every single one of the case studies that I've written about who have extended paternity leave or some kind of you know enhanced paternity leave I mean it it revolutionizes their companies and it's just so frustrating that people don't have they don't have to do it you know um, it's still uh, you know the maternity leave you know, up to a point, there's still a lot, you know, there's still loads of stuff, you know, around maternity leave, but at least that's sort of embedded more in UK company culture and, and policy, but paternity leave still isn't, it's still this kind of afterthought. And mm-hmm. I mean, pregnant then screwed, you know, it was great. Stunts, whether they work or not in the long term, I don't know, but from a sort of virality, social media perspective, they're also, they're really helpful. And and I guess they were targeting Labour conference because obviously, and we've seen this subsequently with the the by election sweeps and stuff that 
we're potentially heading more and more towards a, a possible Labour government. And and it'll be intriguing to know whether Labour, who, you know, purport to be uh, the party of the people and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, much more sort of interested in in sort of well-being, whether they actually make make some big changes, because it does need huge government intervention. And that, as you say, there hasn't been much of an appetite for that over the past, well, 10 years, really. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't know. It's it's difficult to know what's going to happen because there's so much in the intray of uh, uh you know of of a new government. <laughs> I think uh, there's uh, you know childcare. We know that childcare is a massive thing, and it's it's really a, like in your face now thing because all these changes are supposed to be coming through, but we don't know how they're going to be funded properly um, and are they going to cause nurseries to actually close down? So there's all of that. There's obviously the NHS social care. You know, there's so many different parts, criminal justice system, everything needs <laughs> a complete sort of look at the infrastructure of our country post-COVID and everything. And and and, and I was just, I've just been reading about mental health in children, which is a subject very close to my heart that needs a lot of looking at as well so but it but it is such a it's trying to make the case of how how linked women's progression in the in the workplace is to equality in the home equality in the home and equality at work are absolutely intrinsically linked so if we're going to move forward it can't be that women have to do a double shift you know it can't be that it's just too much for women to take on no and paternity leave is as you say it's it's totally linked all of this stuff is so um, entwined to make the country better and I, I would urge kind of anyone really to uh, who who doesn't yet have a, an enhanced paternity leave policy or some kind of special paternity leave policy because it's so sad really that it has to be a special one to be any more than you know what it is generally but I would urge people to go and look at workingdads.co.uk and sort of see how impressive and how beneficial it can be to to companies and to individuals and to culture and to well-being and all these kind of things um, when you do, when they do something about it and when they choose to actually do something around enhanced paternity leave. But it, but you're right; it sort of does lead on to our, our big interview of, of the week, doesn't it? We we talked to to Liz this week. Well, to, sort of, why don't you in, introduce us to to our big interviewee? Yes, yeah, so so Liz uh, Seabag Montefiore, she writes regularly for both Working Mums and Working Wise. I don't know if you've had her on, on Working Dads, but um, she is from 1080 Careers Experts, and she's going to be talking about career progression, which obviously links quite well with the whole kind of equality at home, equality at work kind of uh, thing as well. And and as as you said, you know, I find when I've done interviews with people who've taken shared parental leave or equal parental leave, I mean, they're very moving. It's 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 a whole society benefit that there is there for the children for the parents for the employers I just you know it it just seems it's the right thing to do and it makes all sorts of sense so now we hand over to our to to, to Liz and hear from her about career progression welcome Liz to our mum's dad's work podcast it's lovely to have you here thank you so I wanted to kick off with one of the big questions that we always get on career progression, which is about flexible working and flexible working being a potential barrier to career progression. So what's the best advice you can give to somebody who feels like they're worried about being sidelined career-wise as a result of flexible working? Yeah, so I believe visibility is the key and being vocal and taking the trouble to stay in the loop on projects run by others also key as being an expert in your area and being known as the go-to person, being invaluable. 
holding your ground, getting credit for what you do without working too much overtime because you're worthy of your hire. Um, you know, it's important to evidence you can work flexibly and make your career aspirations known. It's also important to contribute, be seen and make sure you're there for the important events, including some of the social ones. Always volunteer if you possibly can for new projects as they arise. Uh, but that may mean you have to be better at delegating some of your work to your team and also use technology to ensure you can be proactive and collaborative. Obviously, it's hard when you're working hybrid or, or remote and you're trying to, you know, you don't want to be present, but you want to show that you are engaged in your work and doing your work. Um, how, how do you think you do that most effectively? Yeah, I, I believe staying visible is all about using social and internal collaboration tools extensively. So one of the tools that we at 1080 use internally to volunteer for projects is Fuel50's gigs. And these are stretch assignments which are posted and promoted within our internal platform based on what talents and skills project leaders are looking for. It's also important to put your head above the parapet to stay visible. You know, don't shy away from challenging assignments argue your corner and make sure you're given credit for your contribution. You can take the lead if a project interests you, but also insist that you're allocated the resources you need to do the job properly. Because you know, you're competing with managers and leaders who are on the ground. So be persistent without being combative. Great, great advice, Liz. And what about things like networking? Because that's the sort of key one. If you if you are pressed for time and you have to get back to pick up from the nursery and stuff like that, it can be quite difficult to kind of fit networking in. Is are there kind of tips for do it doing it at alternative times or <laughs> that kind of thing? Yeah, well, you're definitely asking the right person here on this question because I love networking. It's one of my passions. And I think it's really important to create time for networking during the working day. Don't see networking as a nice to have, because networking is all about gaining market knowledge and gain, and you know getting your career aspirations out there. Um, but I can highly recommend, just in terms of practical tools and tips, our strategic networking segmentation exercise, which I, which I can tell you about. But you you download your contacts off LinkedIn and create three columns labeled "How well do I know this person." Have I invested in them? And do they have power of influence? And that third point is slightly more subjective, but put differently, if the person was to make a call on someone else's behalf, would the recipient take it? And then score everyone in your network zero to three under each heading. And those who score highly, i.e. the three by three by threes, are the contacts, contacts to strategically net with first. But other ideas are having virtual coffees during your working day, looking for opportunities to constantly add value to others. You can send thinking of you emails, for example, if you read an article that you think a networking contact will enjoy, share it to add value and to help build a relationship for the long term. And finally, you know, you could also attend online networking events where appropriate, make time for lunchtime social and business contacts, and also join online forums and chat groups. But it's about being active and vocal and seizing any opportunity that presents itself. I was going to say, so you, you don't have to, because obviously some people, we're probably a bit more outgoing than some people. Some people don't like kind of process of like actually seeing people face to face and chatting to them even on, on Zoom. So like is kind of, I suppose, text based networking. Is that like, does that work? Like, have you kind of had examples of that or, or utilize it yourself? Do you think that it's effective? I'd say it's, I mean, nothing can beat face to face networking. So face to face is obviously best. 
But if you don't have the time or travel time or you've got young kids or even even doing it at home, I when the kids are at home, for instance, <laughs> yesterday on summer holidays, I think it's so important just to meet people, even if it's a slightly more reduced coffee. You know, normally I think if you meet someone face to face, an average time might be an hour, but, but, but virtually you can do it in 20 minutes just to catch up on their news. And it's also really important to remember, you know, it's just as much about that other person than it is about you. So, so you know, half, half the time. <laughs> Ask questions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really important, I think, that you, you know, because you have the chit chat, it's almost <laughs> more than the kind of, you know, it's the getting to know you kind of thing, the, the, the sort of regular sort of check-ins with people, I think is really important. How do you, in terms of, you know, approaching people, I think that sometimes people feel you might sort of score your person 333, but you, you don't, you know, they're, they're kind of quite senior or whatever. How would you approach somebody like that in terms of networking? Yeah, I think it's just around once you know what you want to get out, whether it's finding more information about a particular sector or about a company that you might want to work for, I think people really don't mind if you say, have you got half an hour just so I can pick your brains on X topic or whatever it might be, because people like to feel wanted. And also, if you don't ask, you don't get and you never know. But bear in mind that if they've done a favour for you, look at how you can help them. And I don't mean immediately because it will be over time, but always, you know, I, I think I tend to see networking as how a finance director would see it about having credits in the bank. So you know, it, it's about, you know, helping others. So you know that you can then call upon a credit to, for others to help you. One of the things that I, I mean, I'm terrible at networking. So one of the, and one of the things that's always, I've always worried about is the sort of transactional nature of it that, you know, by asking someone that I need something from, that it feels yeah, you are immediately asking them for a favour. How do you kind of get your head around that aspect of I it? I think sorry? it's if you break it down into smaller steps and it's if you see it as building a relationship and put it in quite simple terms as, you know, just seeing what you've got in common rather than seeing networking as a massive label around, I can't do this, how do I ask for a favour? Whether you're a female, male, you know, some people struggle with it more than others. But but I think if you, once it goes well and you realise, actually, if you're just unnatural and being authentic to yourself, you'll see where the conversation goes and then you'll realise. And it can be as basic as someone has just moved to Balham, where I live, and they asked me for a recommendation for a dentist. So, you know, I, I helped them. So I know that if I needed advice, I, you know, talking about what I talked with before, you know, I, I feel like I've got... I've built that trust or started to build that trust so I can then ask them. But I think it's rather than saying it is a big thing, break it down to something smaller. That's great advice, Liz. In terms of if, if somebody wants to sort of rather than sort of progressing in what they're doing at the moment, but they want to transition or sort of take take a sideways move, maybe they've sort of looked at the all the articles about AI and how it's going to affect their job and they're thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to stay in this sector for, for too much longer. How would they begin to look at possible alternatives? Yeah, so I'm a great believer. If you want to develop your career, I'd recommend exploring your motivated talents, i.e. skills you like using and want to develop and discuss these skills either with your with your line manager or with contacts and how you might use them more frequently. Volunteering is also great, volunteering externally to use those skills, but it's about expanding your area of interest and being on top of your game and being quick to exploit the opportunities that are inherent in every situation involving change. You know, you have to be quick to recognise and grasp potential if you want to stay competitive, as it's easier for others to pop up when development opportunities and new assignments are tabled. You know, you can only do as good a job in your flexible arrangement as the full-timers. You know it, they know it. But if playing the field is uneven, you may have to be more manoeuvrable as well as quick on the draw. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that, you know, 
we always say like I'd speak to university students and it's all about these are all transferable skills, transferable skills. But actually, even though they are transferable skills that they might be learning, the kind of soft skills, actually then putting them into a different, you know, into a different career or changing path. It doesn't it feels like quite a, a big leap. It, it, again, is that sort of an internal thing, do you think? Or is that how do you make sure that you can demonstrate those skills are transferable, can go to uh, a sort of different industry or a different position? Mm, it's a really good question. I think people worry also. I mean, the easiest job sector is same skills, same sector. And obviously the hardest is new skills, new sector. And then you've got the ones in the middle. But I think it's breaking it down. Once you know where you want to get to, it's around understanding what that very best candidate needs by way of skills, knowledge, expertise, then doing the gap analysis of where you are with your skills against them. And if it's, for instance, leading a team or communication or whatever skill it might be, see how you can get that skill, whether it's working in a charity. A charity is a very safe environment to learn new skill, practice on it, practice it, and then bring it to the working environment to help you get where you want to get to. But it's just seeing the parallels between skills that you've got and are currently using and how you can use them in a new industry, just 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 put differently. And, and always look about ranking yourself as to are you how proficient are you in that skill? Are you, you know, basic level all the way up to mastery, but how you can get better and who can help you? Great. Thanks very much, Liz. It's been absolute pleasure talking to you and some really good advice for people, I think. Thank, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Fantastic advice there from Liz. Always really interesting to hear from experts. We hope you got a lot out of that. We certainly did. Mandy, what else has been on your docket this week? What's been occupying your mind? So last week was World Menopause Day and it's Menopause Awareness Month. It goes on for a whole month, hopefully the whole year. But there's there's been all sorts. I just get bombarded with lots of stuff, which is great because it shows that people are sort of waking up to all of that stuff. And there's certainly been a lot of activity in that area. And so I've been speaking to a family law expert, which is really interesting. I don't suppose so much on the work side as the home side, but she was talking about, she's written a book about how family law needs to be more aware of menopause pause and stuff because of the time that people often come to be talking about divorce and all of that kind of thing is often the time when you you know it's perimenopause or menopause and it's sort of taking that potentially into account and making sure that information is accessible and and, and easy to digest and all that kind of stuff depending on symptoms that might, people might be suffering from and not that everybody who who's has, has the menopause has any has symptoms or severe symptoms or whatever but there are you know a, a significant amount of people who do so I think it's really interesting because it's really about best practice generally. It's about best practice for family law, you know, just understanding more about the people that you're dealing with. And some of those are obviously men uh, that come to come to her and say that they, you know, they find it really difficult dealing with the menopause and they don't really understand what's going on with their their partners. And, and that's definitely what we're seeing from a lot of the sort of menopause awareness stuff that's being done by employers that they there's a significant amount of men that come along to some of the events and things like that they just want to understand more about what's going on and which I think is great I mean I yeah certainly have uh, I've sort of written a little bit and heard from from people talking about how it's one of those things that I'm sure well in, you know in the past it just wouldn't have even occurred to it occurred to men at all you know and so and one of the benefits about people becoming a little bit more attuned to their feelings and and you know aware of their surroundings is that that men are starting to recognize yeah how, how much the the menopause can impact 
on their married lives, on their parental lives, on their work lives as well. And, and I think that's great. I mean, I, you know, the more that we understand stuff around us, the better. And, it, and it's amazing, you know, and, and I, I say this as a, a middle aged man, you know, like it's, it's not really something that has entered my consciousness much before this, it, it, even my, you know, my mum or whatever, you know, it, would, it wouldn't sort of be something that we would have talked about or, or, you know, sort of thought no. about. Um, particularly but now that I'm married and with two young girls it's kind of not 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 that I'm thinking about the menopause all the time but it's like (laughs) understanding that I have to be a little bit more attuned to 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 that sort of feminine energy and and things that are around that is 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 fascinating but it's definitely something that's beginning to kind of filter out I think the the idea that that men need to to be aware of it and and all the more uh, of that please. Yes. And everybody, I mean, I, when you say, you know, you weren't so aware of it, I wasn't even aware of it (laughs) (laughs) until I actually went through it. And then, and even when I was going through it, I was like, what is this? You know, why do I feel so lacking in confidence? I, the brain fog thing was a real thing. You know, I'd start a sentence and not know where I was going or where I was, you know, where I'd come from. And that's quite scary if you're standing in front of people and they're waiting, (laughs) they're waiting for you to do the next bit. And you don't know, you don't, you don't know where you are. And that really undermines you I think you know apart from all the other things and I definitely didn't have some of the severe symptoms that I'm reading about that some people suffer from so I think all to the good that there's more awareness about it I'm not so sure about things like menopause leave and that's actually the family lawyer that I was talking to was she was also she wasn't sure about those kind of things because the symptoms can be intermittent and they can go on for a long period nobody really knows and do you need to label every have a leave for every special different thing that there is and will that potentially lead to more discrimination against women because we'll be seen as kind of in hoc to our hormones and stuff could it just be health leave or is that what you're is that what you mean yeah well leave leave you know well-being you know whatever so i'm not coming into work kind of thing yeah but with an awareness yeah that the menopause that you can talk and you can say you know that I'm suffering from this that and the other and that and, and an empathy from the employer on the employer side which I think is all to the good is best practice flexibility you know some of the things that need to change are things that are good for everyone so that that sort of flexible sort of working policy and stuff and being just being aware of what's going on in your different employees sort of lives so yeah again I think it's it's something that benefits everyone Definitely. Well, look, that's all we've got time for today. We Just before we go, we need to remind everybody that this Friday is the final deadline for application submissions, entry into our top employer awards. Do you want to just throw anything in there, Mandy? Um, no, we just, just that we really, really encourage you to sort of, if you're doing great things, let everybody know about them. Yeah. What happens from the awards is that I interview all the winners, which is great. And then I write it up in a best practice report and then we share it free to everybody. And the aim is to encourage more employers, give them ideas and inspiration and see what the impact is. For sure. And oh, there is often the case where, yeah, we get sort of people going, oh, hey, do you want to do a case study about us outside of it? And you go, this is amazing. Why didn't you apply for our top employer awards? Because don't hide your light under a bushel. So if you feel like you're doing something kind of fresh and original and interesting and amazing in your in your uh, organization and want to trumpet it to the world, then please do apply to our top employer awards. You can find all the details on working mums, working dads, working wives and uh, wmpeople.co.uk. So please do kind of give us your 
give us your case studies give us your interesting things that you're doing because we we'd love to hear about them and talk about them here on on the podcast so we're due to be back in a couple of weeks thank you very much mandy that was fun thank you ben i just wanted to say um just also that it doesn't have to be something new and whizzy it's my initiativeitis thing that i have this yes. thing about but it, it can be just steady progress you know steady just keep doing because a lot of those the things are difficult long-term things to fix and if you're just keeping on doing it and you're doing it really well please do absolutely sort of it's not always about innovation it's sometimes just like continuing to do really good stuff and and committing to that in the long term which can be harder than people think I think sometimes excellent well brilliant thank you very much to Liz for her time this week it was fabulous and uh yeah we uh, should be back in a couple of weeks time yes thanks Mandy <laughs> thanks thanks Ben see you bye <laughs>